0: technologies which have become so pervasive and so powerful at the heart of our life and our work and and how some of those technologies seem to be taking us off a good path and what we can do about that and the idea of the monster and taming the monster is something we propose as uh, some ideas, some provocations, some thought.
1: Ben Pring, welcome to uh... WorkPod podcast. And uh, today we will will talk to Ben. And Ben is, uh, is an expert on future of work. He has a book out, Monster. And why Ben is a, such a crucial um, uh, person to be having a conversation with about this topic is he's actually running a, an organization that calls Future of Work. So you cannot have any parity on that. So, Ben, welcome to the podcast. To start, uh, talk to us about your journey. Uh, talk to us about what brought you to, to this day.
0: Yeah. Well, I run a group in Cognizant it's called the Center for the Future of Work. I'm the head of thought leadership in Cognizant. Many of your listeners, watchers will know Cognizant, a big technology consulting and services company. And uh, I set the Center up, uh, Center for the Future work up about ten years ago, and it's got a charter to kind of look at leading edge technology, how that intersects with business, the 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 opportunities and the challenges that our clients face, and then more broadly about how technology is becoming so central to, you know, every aspect of our of our work and our lives. And I've been in technology all, all my life. I, I've been in cognizant ten years. I. Was an analyst uh, with uh, Gartner for 15 years, and I tracked the emergence of uh, what we now know as the cloud. And then prior to that, I was in the management consulting world, uh, PwC back in the day. So I've always been in technology. I've always loved technology. I've always loved the future of technology. I've always been a kind of futurologist, somebody interested in sci-fi, live long and prosper, uh, you know, a Trekkie from way back, and. Um, you know, I've always believed in the positive power of technology. You know, technology uh, has, has lifted the world, changed the world, brought people from all around the world uh, to a level of prosperity and opportunity that would be unimaginable 50 years ago, 100 years ago. Um, but this new book, Monster, is a kind of recognition that some of these technologies, um, which undoubtedly have a positive uh, good side... We can also see increasingly have a kind of dark side, a downside, and uh, the motivating animus, if you like, of the book and writing a book and wanting to talk about this is that we believe, um, myself, my co-author Paul Rorick, who also works in cognizant, you know, we believe we have a responsibility to ensure that tech is continued, uh, continually used as a force for good. And doesn't kind of go off the rails, I think that would be bad for us personally be bad for cognizant it'd be bad for the world so that's why we've kind of steered into these issues around data and surveillance and automation and and, and tried to provide a, a path forward in which we as I say can can use these things for good and uh, kind of uh, mitigate the downsides of them
1: uh, well said so i want um, I want to ask you. I think if we go ten days, ten ten years back about the future of data uh or future of work, uh conversation within Cognizant and saying okay or or starting this particular group, how has future of work evolved over the last uh ten years? If if you can walk us through what are some of your stark observation as yeah. um over the last last decade?
0: Yeah. Well, yes, yeah, it's, a, it's a nice way to think about it, to think about that journey. I mean, back in 2011, um, that phrase, the future of work, um, yeah, a few people were talking about that. Not that many people were talking about that and thinking about how work was changing uh, as a consequence of, of increasing digitization in big businesses. Um, we wrote the first kind of big book that we wrote about this in 2014 that we called Code Halos, which was Mm -hmm. about the digital fingerprint as it's now sort of understood, a code halo as we described it, which back then in 2013, 2014, wasn't really well understood. This notion that every like, every swipe, every digital interaction you were having on your computer, your phone, on your smart uh, wristband. Um, that was creating this sort of digital fingerprint, this code Halo, and that that was really how Amazon were doing what they were doing. This is how Mm. the notion, if you like this book, you might like this book, or if you like this movie, you might like this movie. That notion of personalization was becoming kind of more um, apparent, but not many people had really figured out what that game was, how it was being played. So that book um, sort of got us on the map a little bit and, 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 um, a lot of people were interested in that. Then in 2017, we wrote a book called What to Do When Machines Do Everything, which was about the power of artificial intelligence and machine learning. And again, if you think back to then, 2015, 2016, not many people had really realized at that stage that AI, which was something they'd seen in movies and you know, read about in books and, and seen in TV shows, that was becoming a business tool and was going to become a really important business tool that would differentiate leaders from laggards going forward. So we pushed that book out. That did very well. Got a lot of attention, really, again, steered into this idea that automating work was going to change work fundamentally. And also we argued in the book that automating work wasn't going to destroy work, and human work wasn't going to go away. There was still going to be plenty of work in the future, but it was just going to be different work. And so we wrote about that, we pushed that book out, that was successful as I said, we talked about that for a while. And then as we started to think about a third book, um, this was when really this notion of these uh, ideas that we had been looking at uh, and sort of talking about in a way the positive power of these technologies, we could see that the the dark side of those technologies was, was becoming very real. And so if you think about data, you know, data is the heart to doing personalization, customization of services. It's the heart of how, again, that sort of Amazon model, that kind of um, mass personalized model uh, you know, can can delight us, can make us happy because we don't have to re-enter in our information all the time. But at the same time, the dark side of that, the flip side of that, was this uh, whole notion of surveillance. Mm. And some of your listeners will know the phrase surveillance capitalism, this idea mm that uh, we, we've built a whole economy on basically surveilling people. And that sort of creepy side of that was becoming very real. And then, of course, in a national security context, that was a very big deal as well. And and again, likewise, in the whole discussion around automation, um, that we could see that that automating of some people's work away was actually part of the reason why there was so much political rancor in the mm-hmm. world. So many people feeling they had sort of been left behind and that motivated Brexit and it um, motivated the elevation of President Trump. And so, again, we wanted to sort of look at these things and, and almost take a time out and say, look, we can clearly mm-hmm. see a good path there. We can see a darker path and we need to think about that. So really this journey in the last 10 years about the future of work has all been a- about the power of technology how central technologies become to, to our lives, and how we need to be able to manage technology and not let it manage us, because that's sort of what it feels like a little bit at the moment. That is that is interesting. So over last um, last ten
1: years, what are some of some of the stark um, surprises that you have you have surfaced when it comes to the perception of future of work? and where actually it is going. So walk yeah. us walk us through some of the surprises that you have seen over the last 10 years.
0: Yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, even today, uh, um, Vishal, as we're uh, recording this, people may have seen uh, Microsoft buying Nuance for $16 mm. billion. Dollars. Mm. Uh, you know, we've been talking about voice mm. uh, as, as a new kind of frontier, a new dimension. For a while now, in the Center for the Future of Work, uh, this transition we call it from the thumb, Mm -hmm. you know, texting uh, to the voice, because we're going to talk to technology in the future uh, predominantly, and technology is going to talk back to us. So that's a kind of example of something we saw on the edge of our radar, we were excited by, talked about, and now Microsoft is sort of buying into that market, market with $16 billion. I mean, that's just one example. Uh, the other one that I'm really interested in the moment, um, which is coming up, maybe still the future of work for a lot of people, but I think it's going to be a very big deal, is the notion of what's being called digital humans. Mm. Uh, the idea of uh, the next generation of uh, chatbots, if you like, where there's a visual representation of a human, which over particularly a kind of Zoom level of call, with the kind of the the, the visual um, quality the verisimilitude that you get on a kind of uh, on a video call nowadays you can't really tell the difference between that digital human and a real human i mean that's going to be a very very big deal going forward um, and so i mean we we joke sometimes here at the center for the future of work that the future is always in the future mm. <laughs> by definition it always gives us something interesting to talk about tomorrow because there's so much innovation going on, so much uh, technology change going on. I mean, one other way I just frame it, Vishal, thinking a little bit further back uh, than ten years, but say the last twenty years. Uh, my my father died in 1993. Uh, he, he was almost 80 then. He was an older dad, but I often think to myself, if he came back today and saw how we're living mm. and how we're working. I mean, we are living in a science fiction movie mm. uh, from his perspective. You know, he, he'd never had a computer, never used the internet, wouldn't know what an app was, wouldn't know what a smartphone it was, wouldn't know what a smartwatch would be, wouldn't know what GPS was, wouldn't know what AI was, wouldn't know what um, Shazam was. You know, all these technologies that we now use quite routinely have all come up in a very, very short period of time. And we are, to somebody uh, just a, you know, a short generation ago, 20 years ago, we are literally living in a science fiction movie now. And that's kind of amazing, kind of exciting, particularly if you like science fiction i think that's that's absolutely
1: true so in fact um, uh, it reminds me of a conversation i was having with someone uh, and um one of, one of the one of the scientists uh, at media lab in mit so so he was talking about um, the idea of enchanted objects right so he, so his perspective yeah, david was david, rose, david yeah. rose right so so he was he, he, he was talking about hey uh, how In in a natural world, if you think of technology, it's not really computers and going to these interfaces. The the objects themselves should get so smart and they talk to us and we should be able to get a smart umbrella and all that. Uh, What's your take on that?
0: Yeah, that was really our similar idea. In fact, we invited David to speak at one of our client conferences a few years ago and um, that was, in a way, I think he had a, a similar similar idea, or we had a similar idea to him, around this notion of a code halo. Of, of mm. in, This was the kind of early age of the Internet of Things, things becoming smart, every physical device being connected to the cloud, uh, transmitting, generating data. And if you could make sense of that data, uh, and that's where kind of machine learning comes into the picture, then you could begin to generate business value from that. So, yeah, this proliferation of uh, intelligence into the network, again, is a very, very real thing. Uh, I think there's been this sort of hype cycle around IoT, and perhaps we're a little bit in the trough of that disillusionment now. But, Mm. uh, again, there's, there's just no two ways around the fact that literally everything is going to be connected to the grid in due course. The next wave of that is going to be glasses. Um, you know, Apple are uh, readying themselves to launch augmented reality in July. Facebook have 20% of their people working on VR-based plat- platforms. So that's that's imminent. That's going to come be the next big platform after the phone and after voice. So that's a very, very big deal. Again, in our perspective and in the, uh, the argument, the framework of the argument we have in our new book, Monster, that's why... This is such such an important time for people of goodwill like us who love technology to make sure that this next level of invasive technology is managed properly. Um, you know, we're not great fr- 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 uh, fans of the Neuralink idea, the mm. Elon Musk Neuralink idea, because mm. we know go wrong with technology mm-hmm. and having that brain um, uh, tech interface. I mean, something's going to go wrong with that. And so, <laughs> again, we need to put in place the new rules of the road. We need to understand how central technology is uh, so we can harness it, so we can tame it, so we can, as I say, sort of harness that power and not allow uh, uh, you know to blow us all up. Again, some of your listeners and viewers will remember that famous moment uh, when Mark Zuckerberg was in front of Congress a couple of years ago. Mm. And one of the elderly senators said to him, you know, what's your business model, Mr. Zuckerberg? <laughs> and Zuckerberg just looked at him and said, we, uh, Senator, we sell ads. You know, that to me, to us, was a mm. perfect encapsulation. Mm of a a new game being played and the umpires Mm. didn't really even understand the game so how can they call how can they adjudicate how can they write the rules of this game if they don't really understand how the game is being played again that's the the moment we're at where we need to to craft these rules and regulations so we can play the game but not you know blow everything up in the process interesting that's
1: I think that that's a well put and and we'll talk about monster uh, uh, in a few minutes yeah. and um, love to love to love to talk to you about um, so some of the misconceptions that business have about the work right so about the future of work so from your vantage point when you interact with um, suite of of customers or clients uh, and their perspective of where the future of work is heading to w- I, I we're curious to know what are some of the misconceptions that businesses are are having when it comes to under, their understanding of where work is going.
0: Yeah. Well, I think um there's a there's a few ways of unpack that. One is to say that um a lot of companies um and I I'd say the majority of companies haven't really acted on the future of work messaging that we, you, you know, many other companies nowadays i have been talking about for a while, Um, you know, less progress has really been made in adopting the cloud at scale, data at scale, automation at scale, uh, than perhaps some people would would believe to be the case. I mean, if you think about the cloud now, there are a variety of estimates out there uh, from folks like Gartner. Their suggestion is that, you know, cloud as a as a model, represents about 25% of big corporate enterprise workloads. Uh, some of the folks at AWS last week said they think it's less than that. They, they think it's more in the 8 to 10% range. So if you think about that, you know, I started writing about the cloud in the late 90s in Gartner. 25 years later, it's, only, it's, it's not the majority. It's not the norm. It's still the exception so um you know that's surprising in a way that we haven't made more progress towards that and i think um if you look at what's going on in, in the world at the moment and this sort of uh, uh pandemic experience and the economic bounce back you know people economists are talking about this k-shaped recovery some mm-hmm. companies are doing very well some companies are really struggling i think the determinant the, the differentiator there is uh, whether you as a company ha- have a sophisticated world class uh, high quality route to market through digital if you have a you know good if you're a retailer and you have a good you have a good e e-commerce platform, you're doing great. Um, and so that differential between up and down really is how seriously you've taken the digital transformation, messaging in the marketplace in the last few years, and how how uh, materially you've acted on that. So, um, so that's one aspect of it. Businesses, I think, uh, really know now that this is mission critical. Many businesses are on a sort of burning platform, and they've got to act very quickly to kind of retool their businesses for the reality of a world in which everything that can go online basically is going to go online. So that's one aspect I'd say. Another big aspect of this future work discussion uh, in the last few years, and I know you guys have talked about this quite a bit, is this whole notion that if work is going to change through mm-hmm. automation, through machine learning, then the people uh, that we have in the business or the people we need to attract to work in the business need probably a different set of skills and probably a higher order of skills than they do, than they have currently. So that notion of retra- retraining, upskilling—I mean, that's become a very, very big deal for a lot of businesses. Um, and to try and again inst- institute institute that um, at scale within a business is is not easy. Um, so that's another big uh, sort of part of it—the HR part of it, if you like. Um, so I really, I really think about those two elements of it. There's the sort of technology. Mm. Allowing you to be a modern business, allowing you to have a superior experience for your customers for your for your employees as well, and then having the right skill sets in the business, so again that you 're kind of fit for the future you 're relevant in the future, you have people working in the business who understand data who understand modern cloud platforms who understand. What those sort of experiences, what the, 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 the watermark, if you like, of kind of the, um, the experiences that customers and prospects and employees expect nowadays. Um, I mean, that's really kind of two sides of the same coin. But uh, I think uh, that's very much uh, on the top of a lot of executives' minds right now. I think that's 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 well put. So,
1: uh, so you you said that um, so there is a skill aspect and there's a there's a technology aspect that that sort of businesses has to they have to be, be mindful about. And um, actually, I was talking to someone from from telecom uh, background, uh, one of the one of the uh, uh, organizational head at uh, one of one of the largest telco company, and um, they were ta- we were talking about. Um, this idea of skill set right so as we know technology and skill right now the both both of them are very active in the ecosystem so technology is transforming pretty rapidly right and it takes time for skills to be adopted so people can manage with this technology adoptions So their anxiety point was if your skill or if you if your ability to acquire a skill takes longer than the shelf life of technology itself, then you cannot win that battle, right? Eventually you will you will end up paying uh, and probably being obsolete regardless. So what is what is your take? Uh, because you deal with a lot of clients, you deal with a lot of people problem yourself and you with your clients on on sort of getting this technology and skill sort of in the hands of these two interesting keywords. What is your take on that?
0: Yeah, no, it's it's a point well made, Vishal, but um the uh, the shelf life of skills uh, is is getting shorter and shorter. Um, and I get this question a lot from, uh, from executives, from parents uh, who, who sidle up to me after an event and quietly say to me, <laughs> you know, what should my kids be studying? And, and I often point out to them that, you know, if you go to college now and you study, I don't know, MySQL or C++ or something, probably in 10 years' time, that skill will have less value in the marketplace because there'll be a new skill and that one will kind of have aged out a little bit. So to me, it's less about skills. It's more about attitudes, really. Mm. It's more about foundational, fundamental attitudes, about curiosity, about hard work, about resilience, about uh, being a good team uh, member, about... um, you know, those human attributes rather than the skills. I think if you have those human attributes, you can continue to learn, continue to kind of, um, uh, as I say, be curious and figure out what's around the riverbend. If you're less uh, well-stocked, if you like, with those human qualities, then you may uh, catch a wave for a while by being hot, you know, having a hot programming skill (laughs) or a hot tech skill for a few years. But that may age out, and you may age out with it. but I think no, no, There's absolutely no doubt that um, you know any aspect of technology, uh, and beneath that, any aspect of having a math uh, persuasion, a math bent, so, you know, a, a competency, a capability of math is going to serve you well. I mean, the, the, again, the simple truth is that the world is becoming more technological uh, than it ever has been, and we've sort of had we've had peak opera. We've had peak Mm. fiction, novel, we've had peak rock and roll, we've had peak movies, but we're nowhere near having peak data science or peak Mm. machine learning or peak uh, biotech. Those technology-based industries and the skills within them have got a long way to grow and a a long way to develop. So, I mean, orientating yourselves towards that kind of world, I think... think, Individuals, corporations are going to do well as a result of that. There's a, there's a phrase that we, um, we like and we borrowed from a guy called Kevin Kelly. Who, who your readers will know, listeners will know, who was the, the founding editor of Wired magazine. And he said this a few years ago. I think it's a, a lovely phrase and it's a nice shorthand phrase that the future of work is basically X plus AI. X being whatever it is you do. You're a blogger, you're a podcast hoster, you're a writer, you're a thinker, you're a teacher, you're a politician, you're a lawyer, you're a doctor. That's your X. If you can add AI to that, that's how you're going to get to the next threshold, the next performance level of whatever it is you do because the technology is, as I said, becoming more and more central. It's becoming more diffused and infused into everything we do, and and adding that technology to your ex. thats kind of the route to um, uh, the next level and uh, hopefully security. Interesting. I think so. Um,
1: I was th- I was thinking about a conversation that I had with one of the economists um, uh, and leading economists, and, he, and we were talking about. Uh, this case, you talked about K-shaped recovery. You talk about sort of uh, Brexit and, and um, so so his perspective was that K-shaped recoveries happen when you have a fracture or when you have a when you have an empathy issue or when you have a trust issue. Right. So you you have sort of are two lines and both they cannot find a common ground of growth. So one is saying, OK, they are leveraging this platform, or other is probably will see the demise of not not getting the, the favorable outcome from they don't have a common path to success. So so his his vantage point was that um, um, when you have this trust issue going on with technology, right? So if if you if you see today's pandemic times, you you see what's happening with AstraZeneca, right? So few blood clots. They just have, because the trust is so high that this vaccine needs. So even just because of correlation, they have to just stop the drug from getting pushed, which which is which could have saved a lot of lives. But because they want to maintain the trust so good, so that everyone end up taking this these vaccinations. The same thing is happening with technology right so with ai when we talk when we talked about a lot of hr leaders organizational leaders about about the preparedness of, of their workforce when it comes to this technology transformation as you rightly pointed out it is it is paramount to not see ai as a threat but see ai as an asset as you rightly pointed out x plus ai is the future so, and I think your book is, is 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 pretty interesting in that perspective, right? It, it sort of it brings us into that um, sort of ethical point of view, empathy point of view of what technology can deliver. But I wonder what what do you think about this this idea of our trust with with whether technology is a source of good and not really taking away my job, which for most of the most of the ecosystem right now it is.
0: Yeah, no, again, these are the central issues, I think, of our time, the central issues that we try to address in in, in our book, in Monster, exactly this, that we can see that, uh, you know, if you live in a zip code full of code, mm. uh, you've probably never been uh, richer, happier, more successful in the whole <laughs> long mm. arc of human history. If you live in a zip code which is kind of more analog, if you live in an analog world, uh, you can see uh, you're getting left behind. You can see um, uh, through Instagram and through your TV the lives of the rich and famous. And, hey, you're not rich and famous. And, and so mm. that visibility through phones, through technology, to see a world that you're increasingly not part of, I mean, that, again, is uh, the motivating factor of a lot of the anger uh, that people feel all around the world in america in in europe in in Asia as well people who can um, you know who who can feel that the world is slipping away from them, and again, I think if you put this into the context of what we said earlier on about how quickly things have changed, uh, I mean things have changed more quickly in the last twenty years than ever pierre mm. uh, uh, Justin Trudeau, the Prime Minister of Canada, famously said at Davos a couple of years ago that the world has never changed this quickly, mm-hmm. yet will never change this slowly again. And so that notion of the hockey stick exponential curve of change—again, human—the human, the human you know, seventy thousand-year-old operating system of our brain isn't really programmed mm-hmm. to change this quickly. And I think a lot of people around the world are struggling with that. So, so if you buy that logic, if you—if—and I think we're sort of agreeing here. Most people. Mm-hmm. You know, looking independently and objectively and uh, you know, sanely would say, yeah, there is a real issue here. Societies are fracturing. Uh, we have winner-take-all economies, platform-based economies where you know, you outsize rewards for the winner and everybody else doesn't get very much at all. Uh, so, so we have a, a range of issues here, and there are really a range of ways we need to deal with that. There's a sort of political aspect to how we deal with that, and we don't really go into that in our book because we're non-partisan. We're not mm. politically motivated here. So that's a political discussion. People, mm. uh, people um, make their voices count at the ballot box uh, politically, but we can also see that there is a responsibility for corporations, for business mm. um, to ensure that, you know, opportunity uh, is spread as widely as possible. And, um, you know, Cognizant, many other big companies spend a lot of money trying to help people, you know, get on the tech uh, tech train, if you like, and go on this journey. One of, one of the models I like, and I, I've called out, and you, you may be familiar with this, Michelle, is, is the way that AT&T talk about this. I mean, again, they recognize all these changes that we're talking about, and they say to their people, you know, we want to take you on the journey with us. We want mm-hmm. you to have a a successful future a successful career here at AT&T so we will pay for training we'll pay for your upskilling we'll pay for you to go on a, a machine learning course a data science course we'll pay for that mm. all we ask is you you do that training on your own time you do that evenings you do that weekends and we think that that's a nice balance mm. between uh, the responsibility the corporation has, not just to kind of get rid of the people who, who perhaps their skill sets are falling behind that curve a little bit, but it also um, it also recognizes that individually everybody has a role themselves. Everybody has agency themselves to look after themselves fundamentally at the end of the day. We're all ultimately responsible for ourselves. And so that balance between corporate responsibility, personal responsibility, we think that's a good model. Uh, it's something that we're trying to you know, mirror, if you like, and, and do our version of it cognizant. I think that's a model that all sorts of businesses around the world can apply. Um, again, recognizing the reality of the change that's going on, recognizing the reality of what happens when it's not managed, societally, uh, that things can get very, very difficult. Uh, and even in the last few days, you've seen um, uh, a number of big, uh, powerful C- CEOs in America uh, talking about these issues and, and wanting to make sure that corporations are seen as being uh, you know, good actors, if you like, mm. rather than actors of ill will. I think that's 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 well put, and and
1: since we are already um, talking about the beast in the room, that's technology and its impact on work. So let's bring in bring in the monster. So um, let's I think um, so I, I was I was talking to you about that, and, and and this is a funny story that um, uh, so I, I got this book, and then um, uh, I, I saw my four year old uh, reading through this. And I was pretty blown away. I said, "Why? Like, wow! That's some that's some curiosity." And I opened the book, and it has fabulous uh, pictures of monsters. So I think <laughs> I was. Uh, it was it was pretty pretty amazing to see sort of how it is uh, it is attracting. Um, and so tell <laughs> us tell us um, um, why write this book.
0: Well, um, again, it's this notion that technology is becoming so core to everything. Uh, And at the same time, we can see that the collision of a lot of technology trends is actually having sort of monstrous outcomes, out results. We're not saying in the book that any one individual technology is 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 a monster. We're saying that in combination, the results um, are you know are are proving in many cases monstrous. I mean, um, think about what's going on in social media, and I um, you know hope your your young child will keep away from social media as, as long as they possibly can because you know the 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 lots of studies and lots of um, uh, anecdotes and personal uh inf- you know, personal experience of of kids really suffering from bullying uh, body dysmorphia just general addiction to these things just being on these things the whole time um, which isn't good which is sort of melting a generation's uh Of young people's heads. Um, We can think about the disinformation that's being kind of spread through these phones. Um, uh, You know, we don't really know who's messing with our elections, we don't really know who's attacking us, we don't really know whether to believe this about the vaccines, as you were saying earlier on, or not. Think about how complicated that's been uh, becoming. Think about deep fakes. Mm. Uh, People have seen the the Tom Cruise uh, videos, which Mm. kind of seem funny. Mm. But imagine when that's a deep fake fake of uh, Joe Biden or Mm. Boris Johnson saying, I want you all to go outside of your house and start attacking um, people with dark colored skin or something crazy Mm. like that. It won't be so funny anymore then that will be a real real problem and um and then underlying all of this this sort of cold war cyber mm. cold war that's you know going on between state actors between hackers i mean this is crazy we we're building this digital world and yet the foundations for that world are very very wobbly very very insecure so when you think about all those things social media uh you know c- cybersecurity, deep fakes, disinformation, um machine learning uh, you know developing at this incredibly rapid rate. We can see the reality is that we can see in our lives today that there are there are downsides to all of these trends. And again, that's the that's the the reason we wrote the book is to say let's not Let's not ignore that or pretend that's not happening. Let's acknowledge that these things are happening, particularly this whole kind of social media and children discussion, which um, uh, is, is, you know, very, very personally um, important. Let's acknowledge these things are happening and let's think about what we could do. So, uh, again, we can use these things in a good way and not let them, uh, you know, blow things up. So what are are some of your... um what are
1: what what are what are the solutions into this, right? So this is we are facing this, we are seeing this, whether we like it or not. Few of us are bad actors, few of us are good actors, and we we are exploiting technology to its core to figure out how. Like the, there's a, there's a huge element of capitalism at play as well, right? That's probably helping or or hurting the economy depends on where you're looking at this. So in in from your vantage point, what is the What's your take? Like, what is the solution? How, to, how we as a technology user um, could navigate through this without getting hurt?
0: Well, the way we've organized our thoughts is really into um, two sort of sections of the book. One is, is in a way, a manifesto that we have sort of written for individuals uh, to think about how they use technology, how they interact with technology, and, and we uh, have some very simple thoughts there, very, um, you know, in a way, obvious thoughts, but things that we seem to have sort of forgotten in cyberspace. I mean, we call back to the famous golden rule, um, do unto others as you would have mm-hmm. them do unto you. We seem to have forgotten that in mm-hmm. in cyberspace. People just write the most you know awful, terrible things on Twitter, on TikTok or whatever, and, and just forget that... It, uh, how painful would that be for us if somebody wrote that to us? We, we're living behind screens, we're behind glass, and we're screaming at people in the way that we sort of scream at them when we're behind the glass of our car. You know, get out of the way, you idiot. You know, we're, we're sort of talking like that mm. the whole time on social media, and um, we've got to remember that golden rule of doing to others as you would have done uh, done to you. I mean, that's just one simple idea. So we talk about this manifesto, but we also talk um, in more detail and more kind of uh, black and white about 10 different specific recommendations that we've got. And these apply both to individuals because there's a political um, uh, aspect to some of these that you know people have to vote for and, and support politicians who put some of these ideas into place but also legislation that will then be enacted, we believe. So there, there are things, I mean, I'll, I'll just mention a couple of them. Um, one, we call for the establishment of a federal technology administration, mm. uh, which would sit above the FTC and the FCC in America. Interesting. and the people who know those organizations and their charters um the federal communications agency and the federal um, trade uh, commission they don't really either of those organizations don't really have a charter to address the sort of issues that we're talking about here we believe it's time to have a, a a branch of government that really is tool to deal with these modern issues you know harking back to that comment earlier on about the senator not really understanding how mm. the game is being played. So we, we, are, we, we call for the, rec- for the establishment of that. And then within that, we call for the establishment of uh, what we call the U.S. Data Agency, mm. USDA, mm. which really has the, um, the authority to regulate how we use technology. And that idea is a, um, an updating of the way that when nuclear power was being uh, developed and commercialised and be- becoming a part of um, powering the grid uh, in the UK, as an example where I come from, there was what's called the UK, uh, UK Atomic Energy Authority was established mm. as a body to manage this incredibly powerful technology, which we knew could be used for ill and for good. Mm. So there's a there's a there's a very sort of um, strong linkage between the way we've managed other uh, dual-purpose technologies, as they're called, in history, and how we should be thinking about dual-purpose technologies now. And then one, one other final thing I'll mention, um, uh, Vishal, and then I'll sort of pause, is that we're calling for the introduction of an age limit to use social mm. media. Mm. Uh, we, we think it should be 18. The mm. kids under the age of 18 should be kept away from social media because if you think about it, um uh, we don't let kids drive, we don't let kids drink, we don't let them smoke, we don't let them get married, we don't let them join the army, we don't let them vote, but yet we put the hand into the hands of a thirteen year old or a fourteen year old or even younger sometimes, this incredibly powerful technology without any real supervision, and then we're surprised mm. <laughs> the bullying and trolling. And body dysmorphia that I talked about earlier on happens. Mm-hmm. It's absolutely crazy. And um, it's time that we had an age limit. And then we had, in the same way that we introduce kids to driving, through driving lessons, through a test, and then through a revocable license. Uh, that's the model we should apply to technology. Not to keep technology, uh, this social media technology, away from people, but just to introduce young people to it. In a way that they can begin to to understand it, and they can begin to tame tame the monster. Um, that's interesting. And
1: so, what is the role of a leader through this? Like, so if I am leading an organization that is um, either a technology provider or, a, or one of the largest consumer of technology, how I would I should see the technology or transformation or or this era is. What's your take on that?
0: Well, we think that you know leaders who understand the power of technology should completely be aligning themselves with hashtag tech for good. They should be using this to uh, produce services and goods and experiences that their customers, their employees, their prospects, everybody in the market at large want. Uh, we can see at the moment that's not the case. There are lots of businesses who are using Data using the power of these technologies in a pretty nefarious, pretty dark, mm. uh, creepy way. And so, I think if you want to be a leader individually, uh, you know, uh, collectively, corporately, it's up to you, uh, to step forward and say, Look, we're not going to do this kind of surveillance model, we're not going to, um, uh, we're not going to be buying data from all sorts of data brokers and and, and using that in a way that uh, any of our customers would feel uncomfortable with. Um, I think uh, that whole notion of the early stages of the surveillance uh, capitalism economy that I touched on earlier on. I think leaders, the real leaders, who emerge from this. Uh, This period of time, are going to be the leaders who take that high path, that uh, the high road, that ethically correct high road, who do remember that golden rule personally and corporately and act on that rather than the people who kind of slink around in the shadows, in the dark side and, um, you know, perhaps get some short term advantage from that. But I think ultimately, over the longer term, they're going to be exposed um, and, and found out that's interesting and um regarding the the book monster
1: so from uh, in through your vantage point who is the ideal reader of the book like who do you wrote it for
0: <laughs> yeah that's a great question i mean we wrote it for anybody who really understands and is interested in technology and the role that technology is playing in the modern world and that is people in business but it's people of um uh, you know civilians if you like just ordinary folks Uh, You know, particularly folks with with kids who kind of seen, uh, you know, older kids, what's gone on, how how addicted kids have become to to social media and technology. Anybody who's ever sat at at a, a, a table in a restaurant back in the days when you could do that or a dinner party and seen everybody at the same table kind of looking at their phones and ignoring each other and thought to themselves, wow, that's crazy. That's just weird and, and mad and what the hell is going on in the world? It's for anybody who really has had that sensation that technology is sort of taking us off the beaten path. It's taking us off the high road and taking us into, you know, neighborhoods particularly you know, perhaps that we don't want to go into.
1: And, and what do you want um, readers to take away from this book besides getting scared of the cover? <laughs>
0: Well, we don't really want to scare anyone. The cover is (laughs) just to draw attention, if you like. Uh, We want to offer people thoughts and recommendations of a path forward. I mean, again, we believe that we're we're sort of at a crossroads at the moment in in technology and in the world. And, And one path is a good path. One path is a path where we harness, we tame this technology, we use it for good. Another path is basically, you know, without being melodramatic about it, is basically uh, a path that takes us into the world that George Orwell wrote about. Mm -hmm. Um, uh, uh, You know, a very scary world of surveillance and and centralized control, um, which I don't think, again, people of goodwill, uh, people like us, people who love technology, who love the future, who love science fiction, that we really want to live in that dystopia. There's a famous quote, uh, again, people will be familiar with, all it takes for evil to flourish is for good people to do nothing. Mm. Uh, And we can see a kind of dystopian Orwellian world emerging around us at the moment. I think it's up to people uh, of goodwill, good people like us, like everybody listening to this now. It's up to us to step forward and to stop that world um, happening and and if we don't and if people don't um think about these issues, if we sort of blindly um sleepwalk into that orwellian world well we won't we won't have anyone to blame other than ourselves so I think in terms of what we want people to do we we're offering simply within the book um uh some some points of view, some perspectives, some framing of these issues some some ways to think about them. And then some recommendations on what we should do about it, which could act as you know conversation starters for people in a business, thinking about how they use technology uh, for personalization. but let's keep away from the kind of surveillance creepy side of it. It's for policy people thinking about the, the those rules of the road, and it's for individuals, um, everybody you know, thinking about how they interact with technology. I mean, one of the ideas in the book, again, people know the phrase the digital Sabbath. Uh, mm. <laughs> there's a lot of good sense mm. to that, good logic to that to put these things down every, mm. every now and then, maybe for a day, maybe for a weekend, rather than just be constantly glued to these things and not able to look up at the world and kind of enjoy the world all around us. It's. I think it's uh, so that.
1: by the way, digital Sabbath uh, So on that note. So we tried doing it and um, I think we went maybe half a day. And we were just, we have, we're never used to seeing each other that much and not interacting with a phone. And then to get to a weekend, it took us like four or five months. So it's definitely, but after the fact, it's it's beautiful. I think I'm uh, one of the fans
0: well, of that. Yeah, so it speaks to the fact that we are addicted. Most people are addicted to these things. And we all know that addiction is a kind of uh, built into the human DNA. The propensity for addiction is is as, uh, you know, genetic as uh, having red hair or being left-handed. So it's in the human genome, it's in our operating system. We know how easy it is to get addicted to things. And we know how bad addiction, any addiction is to anything. And so the fact that our kids are so addicted, it is going to be hard to break that addiction. It's not going to be easy. We're not imagining for a moment, this is going to be an easy fight. Um, But again, I think uh, if you think about these things coldly, objectively, rationally, logically, um, uh, I think a lot of people probably have these innate feelings that something is not quite right here. Uh, right. Again, our, 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 our book is simply uh, an offering to, to help those kind of, kind of people. So interesting. So um, if, if,
1: I, if I'm on board with this idea of helping out, what do you expect me to do um, as an individual? So I've, I've I've read this book. I love this book. I love what it stands for. Now, what should I do? What's next for me? What What do you think?
0: Yeah. Well, thank you, Vishal. <laughs> I appreciate those comments. I mean, ho- spread the word. Spread the good word. Um, the longest journey starts with a single step. You know, uh, spread the word. Tell your friends, tell your colleagues, tell your neighbors, tell your kids, tell the people you work with. Uh, let, let's let's get as many people as we can talking about these issues um i mean that's really simply the role of uh, thought leaders is to try and uh, share ideas perspectives thoughts and um and hope we uh we get some people to come along on the journey i think that's fascinating so uh,
1: by the way thank you so much for for walking us through through monster and and, and putting that much effort into it uh it's definitely uh Pretty pretty cool to have such, such a document uh, such a book right now available for us to chew on. So um, now let's let's uh, um, I want um, so let's get to our section which is which is like a rapid fire. So <laughs> the idea the idea is that I will throw out a word or I, what I expect from you is a one word answer or if you okay. want to elaborate just a quick snappy elaboration of what you okay. what what comes to your mind right. Yeah. So let's let's play that. So um, let's start
0: with future of work. <laughs> uh, I think I said it earlier on, the future of work is always in the future. Another phrase I like when I when I hear the future of work is I I always say that the future of work is not work. And that's a call back to the famous mm. uh, uh, phrase from, from antiquity. If you do something you love, you don't work you never work a day in your life. So uh I think everybody's future of work should be not work. You should be trying to do something you love. And if you, if you can manage that, then you're not really going to work. <laughs> Beautiful. So let's put it uh, one word. So technology, what comes to your mind? The future. Leadership. Never been more important. Monster. The great story of our time. Equity, Um, crucial, diversity, Diversity. even more crucial, legislature, house of fashion but even even more crucial.
1: Jobs of future, without without the word crucial in it.
0: <laughs> um, bountiful future of learning. Important
1: things that keep you uh, keep you up at night.
0: <laughs> uh, West Ham slipping out of the Champions League place in the English Premier League. <laughs> That's that's, that's, a, that's a reasonable
1: reason. So uh, um, so thank you for playing playing upon that. So now we're at the tail end of the conversation. Uh, we ask all of our guests to talk about... Um, let's talk about your personal stuff a bit. So we ask all of our guests to talk, uh, talk about something that has helped them be successful or find the success that they have achieved. Some qualities that you attribute a success to. What are those qualities, if you can walk
0: us through that? Um... Gosh, that's a great question. Um, well, I, I, th- there's a few things, and I've written quite a bit about this, Michel. Uh, just to just to sort of delve into my memory to think about some some uh, sort of highlights of that. There's a phrase that I I've always liked from Picasso, Pablo Picasso, the painter, who in 1967 said computers are useless, they can only give us answers. And if you think about that, what he means mm. is that humans ask the questions. Mm. And I think that was you know, almost pre-the computer age, but I think in 2021 that's still true. But mm. even with the most powerful computers we've got today and the most powerful uh, you know AI-based programs, it's still up to humans to have an underlying curiosity to ask the next best question. I think that's what, if I try and um, reverse engineer my own journey, my own story. I think that's what I've always done. Come, you know, to a degree, naturally to me, and I suppose I've had some facility at it. But I've always asked good questions. I've always, I've always been curious. I've always wanted to know. What's next? And what's new? And what's cool? And what's around the river bend? And what are you thinking? And what are you doing? Uh, and I think if you have that underlying curiosity, uh, then the future isn't scary. The future's mm. cool. The future's just the next interesting thing that you're going to uh, figure out. And I think that human curiosity has uh, a long way to go before it's outrun by even the smartest software makes sense and um we ask all of our guests to share
1: some of the their favorite reads that has helped shape their perspective or some of the books that you're currently reading so besides monster so give us give us (laughs) give us few names
0: well i mentioned surveillance capitalism by shizana zuboff from harvard business school Uh, i think you can see it behind me on the shelf Mm -hmm. there i think that's a very very important book uh one of the most important books I've read in in recent times. I think people should read Edward Snow- Snowden's book. Mm. Uh, again, a very, very important book, very powerful book, very well written book. Um, people should read people who are interested in what I've talked about, and p- particularly the references to to Orwell. People should read if they haven't read or read already. Dave Eggers' book, The mm. Circle. Mm. I call this. This was about Mm. seven years ago. It came out. I call this the prequel Mm. to 1984. It explains how 1984 happened. Mm. That's a very important book. And then um, something, a couple of things I'm reading uh, at the moment: uh, Ishiguro's new book, *Clara and the Sun*, all about AI. Ishiguro is the Nobel Literature Mm. Prize winner from a couple of years ago. Uh, His new book is all about AI. Uh, It's very interesting. And then the new Walter Isaacson book uh, about um, uh, Doudna, a woman who um, uh, created CRISPR. Mm. Um, I forget the name of the book, but people will see it all about uh, the invention of the CRISPR tool and what that's going to mean in terms of editing uh, human DNA, which, again, is another fascinating story. Another fascinating dual-purpose technology can be used for good or for bad. Uh, That's a very interesting book as well.
1: Thank you. Um, last but not the least, if you want um, our listeners and viewers to take away something from this conversation, what would what would that be? What what would be your parting thought?
0: Um, I think my parting thought would be that the future isn't something necessarily that happens to us; it's something we make, and 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 all of us are involved in in making that future. And I think all of us have a responsibility to try and make a future. We want, and, and my feeling, and again, I think part of the uh, animus, part of the the, the, uh, the motivating uh, thoughts that we had, wanting to write this book, was there is a feeling that technology has sort of become so powerful uh, that it is beyond any of our abilities to, to 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 build the future. That the future is happening to us. I think that's a, a worrying. Uh, stance to be in. And I I think it starts with people really understanding in detail what's going on, asking those good questions, and and recognizing that people like us who love technology, we've got to step forward to tame the monster. Because if we don't, as I said earlier Mm. on, there won't be any excuses. We'll have no one to blame uh, other than ourselves. I think
1: that that's well put, and with that, thank you so much, Ben, for for spending your, uh, your time with us and helping us understand monster, and thank you for for playing and playing your part in 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 warning us about this this increasing or upcoming perils with technology and how we should navigate our way through it, and um, to our listeners and viewers, we will put the the link of the book on the description that they can check out, and if they want to get in touch with you, how they can get in touch with you.
0: Yeah, um, uh, people will find Monster very easily, or people can find futurework.com pretty easily. And I'm pretty visible on uh, on LinkedIn as well. So I'm sure people will track me down. But thanks for the session for sure. It was great talking to you. I really appreciate being on the podcast. And, and thanks for everyone listening in. Thank you. Um. I was homesick, never really knew that I would have to grow so quick.